can't do it. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live. Fuck it. Do it live. I'll write it and we'll do it live. Fucking thing sucks. Watching my life, passing right in front of my life. Hello, the story. Hello, hello. Welcome to Open Wide for some soccer. My name's Seth Rutelny. Alongside me, Paula Maurer, Thomas Floyd. It's Wednesday. We didn't do the show Monday. We almost did the show yesterday. So here we are with a hump day delight coming your way yeah this whole podcast is just falling apart it's a miracle that we can even do one show i think did you see the movie hump day i heard it was good but i never watched it who's in uh is that is that a movie it sounds like an adam sandler vehicle i think it's a a duplass uh production what's a duplass production the duplass brothers they've made uh, a bunch of movies in the mumblecore genre they do the hbo show togetherness uh, no idea. Yeah, Google who, who, them. After, who's in yeah. the movie? Uh, I think. Well, let me look it up because I'm not 100 percent sure. Off to a, another, you know, another strong start here on Open Wide for some soccer. You know, the great thing about Hump Day is if you wanted to make a porn parody of that, you wouldn't have to change the title. It, it's it stars Mark Duplass and is directed by Lynn Shelton. Uh, trying to think of what you would have seen Mark Duplass in. He was in Zero Dark Thirty, randomly. Uh, he was on The League on FX. Okay. You, the, you would know The League is one saw. of those shows that everybody tells me that I'll enjoy, and then I watch, and I'm just like, this is terrible. <laughs> there have been a couple shows. Like, You'd think I'd like a show like The League, because I like, uh, do you like... Do you watch Workaholics? Not really, no. You? Uh, no, I've heard it's good. Yeah, it's, it's pretty good. not it's my good. rotation yeah. yet. Have you seen Baskets yet? No. Um, I've heard that's good too. I've, wa- I, I've been watching Baskets. Uh, FX is on a roll right now with Baskets and The People versus OJ Simpson. Man seeking woman. Yeah, I've only seen a couple of those, but I thoroughly enjoy I, I am I am entranced by The People versus OJ Simpson. I think it's oh. good. I think it's but, very good. In particular, John Travolta's role as People versus <laughs> John, Simpson. Okay. He has to be the worst actor. In I was that. In, in partic- <laughs> there's also a supercut out there of David Schwimmer's character saying juice. juice over yeah. <laughs> Tra- Travolta is so cartoonish in that part. It, it's, it's ridiculous. He's uh, pretty good, though. I mean, the thing is, he's cartoonish, but I'm compelled to continue watching him. All I know is it's a hell of a world where you can watch David Schwimmer say, your Uncle Juice loves you, to <laughs> a child, Kim Kardashian, in a you know. My, fa- my favorite part about that show is how they keep putting the Kardashians in other than Robert, even though they had nothing no to do reason. with any of it. For no reason. <laughs> I, yeah. uh, they, uh, the last couple episodes, they thankfully have kind of tailed off from yes. that tendency. Yeah, I didn't uh, see last night. Um. So you guys are slightly older than me. You remember the OJ trial. I have basically no memory of it. I was, I think, four or five at the time. I was uh, so watching this. I'm just like, what's going to happen next? What, what year were you born? Born eighty eight. 88. Well, you know he gets acquitted, right? I, <laughs> oh, you just ruined it. God damn it. Spoiler alert. No. Uh, but, I mean, you also know that he did it, right? <laughs> These are The things I knew going in were Bronco Chase, uh-huh. the glove, uh, doesn't only, fit. You must acquit. The only Bronco chase that Thomas has ever seen is Bronco Boscovic chasing after 
<laughs> people. Um, yeah, uh, I I was not aware of uh, dude, this was this must, being the Kardashian family's rise to fame. This and, was like must see television. I mean, we're not going to go into detail about right. this, but I definitely remember. I came home from school. I was in middle school, and my mother was just every single day. My mother was watching the trial live on Court TV, and the the verdict. We were in school. They let us watch the verdict. Same. We're in fucking like sixth grade Same. or something like that. Same. You know, like I was in. What is I was the, in... The, the two things I remember seeing at school on those VCRs rolled around on carts with TVs are the O.J. Simpson verdict and the Challenger explosion. Yeah, like, see, I feel like they didn't show us anything that wasn't disturbing. I like, grew up and we had to watch all these space launches on delay because of challenger <laughs> oh my god yeah i'm that's surprised cool. they showed them to you guys at all that's yeah. horrible is anybody still listening right now or are we just <laughs> sort of talking to ourselves <laughs> anyways uh, now we've gotten the oj talk out of the way yeah uh it, mls is back MLS, mls is back yeah so uh i feel i feel like it never left i feel like it's like you know your in-laws or something that just yeah saturday was a veritable soccer orgy i mean you mean sunday yeah, yeah. Sunday. There was no MLS. I guess our so- soccer Sunday marketing didn't get through to you, huh? Right. I mean, I only watched a couple games. Um, Did but... you guys notice, by the way, that uh, Simon Borg is no longer doing the instant replay se- yeah, it's segment? Dunny. Yeah, I saw it that. It's Dunny. I, I, I uh, love Brian Dunseth, but I, I feel like Borg was the perfect fit for well, that. Uh, yeah, he better have a Brian, good Brian Dunseth is, like, the nicest guy in MLS media. He's great. Sure. Great that way he does. He needs to yell more. he needs to honor the legacy of the man before him (laughs) anyways uh yeah so 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 should we uh start with a little dc united let's get that out of the way because they got absolutely eviscerated by the la galaxy which is nothing new they they did they were good for you know 55 60 minutes wait so so they they haven't won in la how long has it been now uh, yes. Since like 1973, yeah. yeah, when it was, I think the diplomats beat the Aztecs right. at the yeah. Rose Bowl. Uh, you know, it, it has been though since I think 2006 or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, as Thomas mentioned, it was going okay for a while. Um, you know, they were up one zero at halftime. They seemed to be doing what they wanted to do. Um, and then the last 30, 35 minutes, it just kind of started to fall apart it was almost like it was the ccl and the galaxy were a mexican team or something <laughs> um but um where i mean what were some things that you guys noticed from this game i'll tell you um even though they lost by three goals there were for me some moments to be optimistic about as a dc united fan going forward this season i thought they definitely had some nice moments in the attacking third uh, in the first half, first uh, 50, 60 minutes of the game. Um, you know, I think that you can see that some of the new additions they have are, are going to be upgrades for their attack when you're talking about Acosta. Uh, Nagel looked decent. Uh, Niarco had some moments. Uh, did you guys think that there was a, enough to take out of this in a positive sense, or uh, are you more focused on the way things kind of collapsed late on? Uh, in terms of the positives, there's a, a lot of reasons to be optimistic about Nick DeLeon as a central midfielder. That was something I was pretty skeptical of coming into this season because he had played that role sporadically over yeah, the guys... last couple of years and never particularly impressed me. He still seems like more natural winger, but this was the first game in my mind where he really looked to 
owned that role for for at least the first half. He he really was the most dominant player in the game where the other central midfielders included guys like De Jong and Gerrard. It, it was it was impressive and he didn't put together a full 90 minutes of that, but it's something to build off going forward. Yeah, that's this was actually a question we got in our voicemail box. Oh, uh, we um, should we should Hey, it's Amir from Maryland, suburbia. Um <laughs> Just wanted to get your guys' thoughts on uh, Nick DeLeon at center mid because I'm getting either he was amazing or he was absolute shit. Okay, so I don't think so. All right, so the fact that you're seeing that either he's amazing or absolute shit just means that you have Twitter (laughs) because that's what people do with everything on Twitter. Um, the people who said he was absolute shit are just watching a different soccer game. Um, yeah, I, I I thought he lost gas as the game went on, but especially in the first half, he was quite impressive. Yeah, I mean, he's finding the game. He's uh, discovering pockets of space in the middle and, and getting more of a feel for that position. And as he continues to do that, it's only going to be better because on the physical side, he has the attributes that you want. Like he has strength um, in the middle. He can, yeah, he has the work ethic. He can win those tackles. It's just about learning to play that position to pick out passes. Uh, we should mention uh, Amir from Maryland left a message on our new open wide for some soccer voicemail. Uh, you may be listening to this show live, but you can't call in. However, what you can do is leave us a message. The number is 708 708- L-T-O-W-F-S-S. You could also tweet at us, and we will make you famous and read your tweet on air. Although, you know, know, it's dawning on me. Um, Just call that number now if you want to ask a question. Because it'll... Just just call it. Just call it. Questions, whatever. Dial that number. We'll see if it works. Yeah, maybe you'll be able to get on the air. Yeah. I, I have a suspicion I can just answer with Google Voice and start talking to you. So, you know, in, in any case, um, yeah, I think Nick's going to take a while to, to sort of uh, fall into that role. Um, you know, something we didn't put here uh, on, on our list of things to talk about, but I want to get your thoughts on is, um, and Thomas, you just wrote a piece on him last week, Marcus Halstey, not even in the 18. Yeah. And uh, Appar- it was- apparently a knee sprain. Uh Okay, per, per today's news. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it's strange because at first they said uh, coach's they, decision. They, yeah, at oh, first they, they said there was no, no. injury. That's what and DC then, United told me that night. They said coach's decision. And yeah. then, yeah, a couple of days later, it turns out he's suffering. I think they called it a mild MCL sprain. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and that, so I, I'll let you guys make sense of this. Uh, when I went out the training last week uh, in advance of the CCL second leg. I, I asked Benny uh, what went behind the decision to go with Sarvas and Delion in central midfield. And he actually went, like, as opposed to who? And I, I was kind of like, uh, perhaps Halsty? And he had to think about it for a second and then eventually went into an answer that factored in his fitness and the fact that he just had uh, a second child born and the fact that at the time he was nursing a calf injury. But I thought it was somewhat telling that yeah, in Olsen's mind, it wasn't even a, a decision. Like at this point, Halsey, whether it's because of form fitness injury has sort of fallen off the depth chart in central midfield. And he even, feels committed to Sarvas and Delion. Well, it's funny. Cause even, you know, then when, uh, you know, Burnbaum, when, when we thought Burnbaum was going to go out of the game with a concussion, and I still have no idea to this day why he was in for the rest of the game yeah. because it looked like he, 
severely smashed his head into you know his defender. I thought that was going to be a weeks, if not months, injury. Yeah, um, and it was a minutes injury. In, in any case, I thought it was funny because I you know, tweeted out, "Well, it'd be nice to have Marcus Halsey right now, wouldn't it?" And immediately. Uh, every United fan imaginable on Twitter says, tells me I'm much more comfortable with having Opari there than yeah. him. Um, I just think it's it's interesting the perception of him at this point. Yeah, well, um, he just he just hasn't really made his mark yet. He hasn't shown anything, and because of a variety yeah, just of never, reasons, you just never know with Ben though whether whether it's he hasn't made his mark because he hasn't been given a chance. Well, by Olsen to do that. Yeah, there were some I mean? injury issues last year. Yeah. Uh, last season. I think what really concerned people was once he got into the lineup, which was uh, after Arno's initial concussion problems, yeah, Halsey was a game-in, game-out starter down the stretch and into the playoffs, and he was okay. Like, he wasn't overly impressive. And then going into this season, yeah, and that, that piece you referred to, I wrote, I talked to him and Benny, and there was a lot of optimism around, all right, you know, European players coming into the league, they usually – don't find the rhythm until the second season. Last year, he had a fragmented preseason and an early injury, and he felt like he was catching up all year. And now it's just uh, history repeating itself, seemingly. Sometimes I feel like this league, there are so many built-in excuses for players to underperform that it really is like, I mean, there's naturally less pressure than there is in Europe. But, you know, a player coming over here, when they have this built-in safety net of, you know, oh, well, like every other player has done poorly the first six months. It just makes it easier to do that. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. You know what I mean? Right. I, I don't know. It could be I, just an observation, but, you know. Yeah, I mean, at this point, it, it seems like Sarvis kind of has that defensive central midfield spot on lock. He just seems like the kind of guy that <laughs> Ben's going to want to put in his lineup a la Davey Arnaud. Do you notice that yeah. he, he – Marcelo Sarvis, who's never been a particularly physical player – was like I think doing his best to channel Davey Arnaud <laughs> the first half of that game because he definitely um, got stuck in a couple times on a couple players. That's not something you've seen in previous years. Yeah, if uh, if Sarvas can grow into that role, it actually could work out really well. I was a little skeptical over that acquisition when it first happened, but once they complemented it with the Acosta signing and it became clear that uh, Acosta was going to be the new exciting playmaker and that they were grooming Sarvas for this deep-lying playmaker role. It seems like a more natural fit for a guy who's 34 years old and maybe doesn't have the legs to get up and down in a more attacking position. So just, let's go back to this voicemail box. Go ahead, Seth. Sorry. Or I'm, I was just going to say, I'm going to throw out a name here, and sure. this might be the only time that we mention it all season. Um, <laughs> Colin Martin, uh, you know, he's a guy that... Was pretty hyped up when he signed with United as a homegrown player, and it seemed like you know this off season people were talking about this might finally be the year that we get a chance to see him get a run, see what he has at the MLS level. He's 21 now, not particularly young anymore, yeah, and just seems like you know it's well. I, I he's have just a, not in the he's just not in the plan. You know, I heard towards the end of last year that from a, a former United uh, Academy product uh, that most. Most of United's youth players, and, and Colin in particular, are sort of uh, possibly angling to get out of that situation. Um, yeah, I wouldn't blame him. No, of course, because ben, ben at this point has a reputation for not playing his kids and playing people like Marcelo Sarvis. You know? mm -hmm. So I think it's telling that um, it wasn't even when, – when you heard people talking about DC's lack of 
central midfield options this offseason. People didn't even mention Colin Martin. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, we're talking about the central midfield, and just he's not even in the picture. Yeah, so Martin is interesting because positionally, I feel like they still haven't figured out where he's supposed to be. In theory, he's someone who could compete for one of those two box-to-box holding roles. But also, United tends to play him in the Acosta slash Buescher position. And maybe it says a lot that they pick you know, Buescher in the draft and immediately seem to trust him more than Martin in that position. And I mean, I will say that Buescher has more of a pedigree than and real, probably anybody that came out of the draft this past year, you know. Yeah. And and then also Martin maybe can play out wide, but when he does, it doesn't seem like the most natural fit either. So uh, it's going to be a continuing issue for the team to figure out exactly where he factors in. I asked a former United player about Colin Martin, and one of his comments, jokingly, obviously, was, I just think that kid needs to move out of his uh, mother's basement. So <laughs> that's possibly another one. Let's go to this uh, this um, voicemail box again because uh, certainly I think the the biggest uh, issue going into the game in LA was uh, was how how well Acosta would do. You know, so hi guys, do you think Luciano Acosta will be the first international player to break Casper and Olsen's streak of foreign signings not working out? Second question, will Olsen era TCU ever win another two-leg series? Thanks. Bye. Both good questions. Let's, let's do the second one quickly first. Um, How many in a row has it been that they've five. lost? Five. Five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, going all the way back to the last one they won was that the infamous snow series in 2012. Right. So you um, have a three MLS playoff series and two CCL series they've lost. The, since the last time DC and I won a two-leg series, uh, Marcelo... Uh, Saragossa was starting, and so was Robbie the Russell. Ro- Robbie, Robbie Russell had the game-winning assist. Yeah. Um, there always has to be somebody like that in the lineup. It's it's been a lineage from Saragossa to Arno now to Sarvas. Right. <laughs> I think um, it, this is this to me is very simple. Okay. I think uh, the reason that they haven't uh, won a two-leg series is because they play a style of soccer that. Uh, works for the first two-thirds of the year, and then literally every team in MLS figures them out. And by the time they go into the playoffs, they're not scoring goals anymore, and it becomes increasingly difficult. That 2012 team actually had a little bit of flair. You had players like Dero, Pontius in his prime. Um, you know, I think uh, I think the teams in the past two or three years that Ben constructs to just sort of, uh, you know, chop their way through the first two-thirds of the year, you know, by the time they get to the playoffs, they're they're an open book, you know. And I think just to to put this out there, I think going forward this year it might be a problem. I think they're already figured out. You know what I mean? So yeah. they're going to have to. I just genuinely believe the team is the team style of play. <clears throat> uh, tactically, DC is going to have to evolve this year, or they're just going to suffer. You know. The other issue is DC United is not a team that uh, their style lends it lends well to aggregate series like they have a habit of you know they getting blown out on the road as we saw this past weekend and in general last season i'm double checking this i believe they were the only team in mls to make the playoffs with a negative goal differential yeah they were the only only team at minus two so they're they're a team that they grind out a lot of one goal wins and then when they lose they can lose badly so when you get to an aggregate series, that's not a great situation because 
you know, you lose that first leg by multiple goals, then it doesn't matter if you grind out the two to one win in the second leg. Right. Uh, so let's get to the first question about sure. Costa. Uh, I mean, it's only been, you know, two and a half games or something with him, but it seems unlikely that he will just flame out. Like he seems too good that he's going to make an impact and he's going to make a positive impact. And he's probably going to be the focal point of DC United's offense this season. Uh, you know, he's got ability on the ball that nobody else on the roster has. And you can see that right away. I think the, the question for me is, is he going to get the ball enough playing in that withdrawn forward role? And when he gets the ball in dangerous positions, is he going to have the end product? We haven't really seen him getting any goal scoring chances, any goal scoring positions really in the first yeah. few games. And, I mean, so much of this has to do with um, how his dynamic comes along with with Fabi. Although, you know, having said that, again, I mean, you got a situation against LA where Spindle didn't even start. Yeah, you know, and and I think. Um, and what I you know, Acosta played a lot of preseason minutes, and he played a lot with Espindola, and I never, you just didn't see um, their dynamic coming along at all. You know, to me, it seemed like they weren't on the same page, but it was very clear that Acosta was sort of half a step ahead of Espindola. Yeah. You know, so I, I think so much hinges on that. I mean, I. Yeah, I I agree. I I wonder if they have the makeup to gel or if United will need to perhaps experiment with different formations, which really hasn't happened during the Ben Olsen era, uh, or experiment with different forward partners. If perhaps Acosta and Nagel become a potential duo and they bring a spindle off the bench more. Uh, I mean, uh, again, it, this is what I'm saying about yeah. their tactics have to evolve. Yeah. The fact that you're sitting here saying that they haven't played, uh, you know, Aside that they've never played a different, they've never played a different formation. I mean, their roster is completely different than it was four years ago. There's been constant roster turnover, and the style they play has remained the same. Yeah, you know? I'll be, I'll be curious to see if he sticks at that withdrawn forward position because he does seem like the kind of player who would be more of a natural fit uh, as a peer number ten with not a lot of defensive responsibilities. I think, you know, you see him get the ball and. He might be for he might be farther up the field, but does he have a lot of options to pass it to in a straight four four two formation? I'm I'm not sure if Spindola is really the right guy to be the only person ahead of him too, because he likes to drift wide a lot and he's not getting himself into prime goal scoring opportunities and prime positions. So it'll be interesting to see how that partnership evolves. It's uh it's an interesting dynamic, and uh, not to overplay this comparison of him to Javinko, which happens a lot, but Javinko... This, guy, this guy's like, uh, I think I told you the other day, he's like caffeine-free diet, <laughs> caffeine-free diet Javinko light or something like that, which is still, yeah, tastes pretty good. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Javinko has found a lot of success with Toronto, actually, as a... As a lone striker, it's when they partnered him with Altidor and tried to maybe make something work that wasn't quite there. What was when Toronto had problems last year. I wonder if DC United is going to fall into a similar situation of trying to make him and Fabi work, or if they're willing to try different things and different tactics to really get the most out of Acosta. Yeah, you know, I talked to a sort of a sidebar, but I talked to a former United player. 
um, who kind of shed some light on playing with Espindola, and it's that you know he said that while it's incredible to play with him and he's an incredibly talented player, he, he's maddening to play with because you literally never know where he's going to be. You know, he drifts out wide so much. He, you know, sometimes he'll tuck inside, then he'll get frustrated and drop drop deeper to try and find the ball. Right. You know, so. I think it might be, you know, interesting to see uh, what are the, you know, how that dynamic comes along. Like I said, let's let's move on a little bit to the goalkeeping situation because I think this is going to be an interesting one uh, with the addition of Charlie Horton, um, Dykstra again uh, against LA. I, I feel like this has kind of become a theme with him, where he gives up these goals that aren't quite howlers, but we say. Uh, maybe he could have done better. Um, I'm thinking particularly of McGee's first goal where Dykstra kind of came off his line and got caught in no man's land, making it easier for McGee to lob him. Um, you know, on the penalty kick, you know, he just sort of stuck out his foot and took McGee yeah. down. That wasn't really great goalkeeping that either. <laughs> incredibly stupid. Um, so, you know, I saw a quote today from Olsen su- suggesting that Horton was – actually competing with Wara right now for the backup spot. Um, you would imagine that's just because Horton hasn't been with the club for several months. And he's just trying to get back in the swing of things. Um, how soon do you guys think it's going to be until Horton is really going to challenge Dykstra for that number uh, one spot? I mean, Thomas and I talked about this. You, if, when he talked to Ben preseason before he even signed any uh, keepers, you know, after he knew that bill had gone down, he did say, you know, I have full confidence in Andrew and blah, blah, blah. But he, he was very – on his own, you know, went on to say, we want to find someone to push Andrew for minutes. And I think he sort of puts that narrative out in the media. So Dykstra knows that he's not, you know, this is not a guaranteed job, you know. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, I mean, it's not going to take very many three, four goal losses till, you know, people start searching for options. And I it's mean, not going to be Wara. Yeah. And I, I mean, Dykstra, I think we've seen what he can do. I mean, he's basically a backup-level goalkeeper. And presumably, a guy like Horton, who's been with the U.S. national team at the youth level, would be an upgrade. Not that any of us have ever seen him play before, but, I mean, you know, just look at the pedigree that he should be better. And also, uh, we saw him after the Champions League game. He is large. Yeah, he's a big guy. We just saw him walking around the, uh, like, the... Boxes, yeah, and yeah. he, like, he has the physical tools to be a top-notch goalkeeper. It looks like he he has the look of someone who really could be a standout player if he puts it together on the the fundamental side. So you heard it here first, guys. We have read Charlie Horton's Wikipedia page. <laughs> <laughs> he is tall, confirmed. Uh, before we move on to general MLS stuff, I think we should discuss. The move of one Perry Kitchen to oh the ja- to the Jam Tarts. Um. I'm so torn on this, man, because I feel like it's uh, – so we don't know what his salary is, right? But, I mean, I, I dug a little bit, and, um, uh, you know, Rangers, Celtic, and Jam Tarts, uh, you know, the, the salaries there are it's, – it's there's a gross disproportion between those three teams and the rest of the SPL. I think the average salary at uh, – We'll just call. It, I'll, call, I'll switch to calling them Hearts now. Yes, um, the, their name is actually Hearts, or I think it's Heart of Midlothian. Hearts of Midlothian. Midlothian. But, uh, but, but for some reason, their Twitter is Jam Tarts. I don't know what the hell that. That's probably some nickname. I don't know. Yeah, you know. but why? It's like the, does their nickname sound like a breakfast pastry? <laughs> so, 
Um, the average salary there is like around two hundred thousand dollars, two hundred thousand pounds a year, so whatever, two hundred sixty thousand dollars. And you figure Perry's making more than that, I'm sure. You know, so but it's a I move mean, uh, motivated by finances, and I, I don't entirely blame him for doing it. At the same time, I mean, at DC United, from what. Uh, Steve Goff was reporting, made it sound like he was going to get offered something. In the, yeah, yeah. I mean, the something at, that would put him at. You know, I, what I'm saying is, I feel, I feel like we have to assume he's making more than that. Now, of course, there's a yeah. chance that he just played. Yeah. You know, that DC played his bluff basically, and that 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 then he's like totally screwed, and now he's yeah. making less money playing in Scotland. Which, by the way, is like the league that gets tossed around. As like one of the only ones that's worse in Europe <laughs> than MLS, so I, I think he just wants to get to Europe and then <laughs> figure, and, figure and, it like, out. Yeah, like I think he's hoping this is a springboard. Maybe. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll see. Yeah, yeah I mean, Colorado Rapids, 2016, 2017. You know. It, yeah, I can't I can't blame him for moving on to to Europe. Uh, I think he had sort of reached his limit with the MLS as far as how much he was going to grow. Um, I think, you know, they, the hearts actually were very honest in saying that, you know, he had a move lined up to Germany and it fell through and therefore he was able to sign with hearts. Um, you know, whether it was Bundesliga or second division, I guess we're not entirely sure. I'd be kind of surprised if it was Bundesliga. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's a level where he should be able to start and do well, um, which I guess is beneficial uh, in and of itself, as opposed to maybe going to a higher league and really struggling for minutes. But it did seem like what Perry needed after leaving DC United was a club where he would kind of struggle and have to fight for minutes just because he was such an automatic starter here his entire time that I I thought it would have been good for his development to go somewhere where he really had to fight it out for every minute at central midfield. Yeah. Uh, I think uh, I think uh, I can only imagine what Ben Olsen thinks of this move, which is off the record. I thought it was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm wondering. So, do you guys think that Perry is ultimately happy with the situation, or do you think it was a matter of he perhaps overvalued himself within MLS and then? got stuck in a situation I think, I think like that's this. The, the more likely of the two scenarios. Yeah. I, on the, the money that was being reported, uh, where he would have been at, you know, uh, either a high, like toward the maximum salary, if not above it with his contract being bought down with allocation money or what have you. Uh, I mean, if he was going to be making that much, that seems like, they, he was perhaps overvaluing himself because in, in MLS, you know, as much uh, as DC United fans loved him and as loyal servant as he has been for United over the past few years, uh, to me, he never really reached the upper echelon of MLS demons alongside Alonzo, Beckerman, Trapp, Janino. Uh, yeah, to me, he was always a notch below those guys and. I, it, it would have been a stretch for DC United to offer him any more than what was reported. I don't really give a shit. <laughs> I, I, 
I, I also thought it was pretty hilarious during the uh, the U.S.'s uh, winter friendlies how both games they tried to get him in with about 30 seconds left. Right. And you he know. looked completely exasperated the and second you, time. Yeah. He was just like, what am I even, you know? And it, it was just so obvious that he was on the open market and they wanted to increase the number of caps he had. Yes, <laughs> I know. Well, let's talk about uh, let's talk about some general MLS. Uh, what should we talk about? Well, I, I <laughs> Tommy Mack. Yeah, we should we should start with NYCFC. <laughs> so much Thomas McNamara. Um, so much Thomas McNamara. Both of you guys have written articles on NYCFC in the past well, couple I think, days. Uh, Thomas was the one who suggested just euthanizing Frank Lampard. <laughs> <laughs> it seems like a good. Uh, yeah, I saw him. I went to one of the the. Hudson Derby games right last year. Derby, whatever you want to say. Is that the official name for it? Hudson that, River. I think it's uh, Hudson River. Has that Dar- emerged? Dar- Dar- I just I remember watching Frank Lampard come off the field in like the 60th minute, and he just looked like so completely disoriented, tired, sweaty. Just like he looked like he had the flu or something. I don't know. Defeated. He, he turns 38 uh, in a couple months. Why did they sign him for six million dollars? Uh, it, it to me was inex- inex- well, I was going to say inexplicable, but at the time, yeah, he was coming off uh, being on England's World Cup squad. Uh, was still a spot starter, regular guy off the bench for Chelsea. I mean, I, I feel, like, but that was that was uh, a year and a half ago now. I, I feel it, like City got like the last like one sixteenth of a tank of gas that was in him. Man City that, did? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, with that loan shit and then he now and it was literally he's just like a stalled out vehicle yeah, on I the think, bench. I think that's exactly right. Like at the the age they signed him, he was already on the cusp of, you know, just death. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> so the fact that they delayed his move for half a season, to me, that, that killed any momentum for that signing. And I, I can't imagine it being anything other than a bust. Well, let's talk about NYCFC in general because um, I, uh, you know, did this long sort of preseason feature with uh, Patrick Vieira. And one of the things that he left really clear was that he wants, and, you know, you hear a lot of coaches say this, but um, – Based on the way Patrick Vieira played, I, I believe him. He wants his uh, team to play forward, you know, forward-thinking, aggressive, attacking football to sort of boss the game, and they did it. They actually did it. Yeah. Um, asterisk against Chicago. No, yeah, exactly. And and they also they gave allowed three, three goals. goals. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think we talked about this the other day. There's, you know, there's no way that if Chicago is one of the only teams in the league you can give up three goals against, you know. Right. I don't even know that you can give them up against uh, Colorado now because Tim Howard's going to be back there. So at least halfway through the year he is, you know. Well, um, I I think Zach McMath is pretty imposing. Uh, <laughs> poor poor Zach McMath. So what do we make of uh, of NYCFC's debut? Uh, I mean, on the attacking side, there's a lot to be excited about. I think they have Pirlo playing at his best. I uh, We were talk- chatting about this before the show. I I think he came to MLS – perhaps not fully understanding what he was in for and he had a really bad first month but now he kind of you know got things together and looks like he's coming into this season you know still in that classic uh pirlo form of not doing a ton of defensive work but still being able to c- control games uh distribution wise and then i think mixed discrude and Tommy McNamara were extremely encouraging as the two center mids in front of him doing a lot of the work defensively, 
winning balls, but also getting forward, getting into the attack. They each had a goal and an assist, and, and Disgrude also had a pseudo-assist where he chipped in the ball that led uh, a Chicago player to bicycle kick it into his teammate's face. <laughs> leading to- <laughs> Mix, uh, you know, we'll talk about McNamara briefly. Um, again, I just put out a piece today on him, and um, it's one of those things where he did. He, I, I guess the thing everyone says is, <laughs> and Patrick Vieira put it best, I think, when he said, you look at this guy and you think, oh, okay. <laughs> um, you know, I, I laughed when he said that, you know. Um, I think another one of, of McNamara's teammates told me earlier in the day, you look at him and you just know he's not going to run anybody, run by anybody. But then you see him with the ball at, at his feet and it's a totally different story. And like Vieira said, you know, in the, the piece I put out today, the guy just has so much technical quality for, for a dude who looks like, as Eric Winaldo put it yesterday, a co-ed tennis player. <laughs> <laughs> just ridiculous, you know. I mean, I don't know how, how Thomas McNamara cannot feel shit on at this point. I felt bad because I asked him in the interview thinking he would think it's funny. I was like – and I showed him the New York Times article from last year on my monitor. I said – so what did you make of this when the New York Times called you, and I quote, a thick, mulleted midfielder? <laughs> and he, his face just sort of sank a little bit. But then he went, I didn't even have a mullet. I mean, it's just inaccurate. Um, <laughs> didn't the, deny the thick part, though. The, the other thing with McNamara, so he made a couple incredible plays with the, the final ball, a, a wonderful long-range finish off the post, upper 90, and a – Fantastic cross to Disgroup for his goal in which he absolutely annihilated Matt Polster. Yeah. Uh, but aside from that, you know, diving into the Opta, uh, he went 44 for 47 passing. Like, and, and you look at his chart, and it's not like he's playing, you know, short passes, going backwards or sideways a lot. He had a very proactive passing game and was very efficient doing so. So, so how does... How does Patrick Vieira justify taking Tommy Mack off the field for Frank Lampard? Or does he shift him out wide? What happens? I can't imagine that happening. I I think the... So who is the sacrificial lamb that this elderly man displaces? I think at this moment, NYCFC needs to bring Lampard off the bench until he shows he can play a 90-minute soccer game and keep up with the style of play they've established under Vieira. If they do that... Uh, the solution is probably to shift McNamara to the left flank, let Lampard play in the middle and take, you know, maybe Tony Taylor off the field and make him a sub. But or, that, or Shelton. I mean, you, yeah. I think you take Taylor off there yeah. and, before Shelton. But in that scenario, then you've got Lampard and Disgroove as the two guys doing the defensive work in front of Pirlo, and, and I don't think that's going to work. And realistically, um, uh, McNamara didn't look the best last year out wide. You know, I mean, I mean, I. I thought he still was was pretty good, but this is a better role for him. Like cause last year, he put up surprisingly good numbers for the limited number of appearances he had. Even even Pirlo looked looked good. Yeah, you know? I, I mean Pirlo looks like someone who realizes he has to be at a certain level to uh, to not only play well in MLS but to make Italy's Euro squad. Yeah. Um, and did you see he called a, he called a PK again? Yeah, that was incredible. You see that? And uh, the second time he's done it. And, and, Saunders, and Saunders was like, nope. nope. Yeah. Saunders pulled a, I got this. You know, <laughs> yeah. The old, uh, the old Matt race. It didn't work out. <laughs> yeah. One more 
point before we move on from NYCFC. We are talking a lot about their central midfield, and we haven't even mentioned perhaps their best player all of last season, which was Poku. Um, you know, where where's he fit into yeah. this whole equation? And, uh, I'm going to interrupt real quick because Jurgen Klinsman just tweeted, uh, congrats to Perry on his new adventure <laughs> at, at Perry Kitchen at Jam Tarts. <laughs> Congratulations. Link to soccer by Ives Peace. Congratulations, Perry. You will never be called in again. On his new adventure. God, Jesus Christ. If, if we're talking about things that have happened while we're doing the show, Alex Morgan scored a absurd goal. Somebody tweeted at us. And oh, yeah. Said, she br- brought down her chest. Just she volley. juggled it yeah. over uh, a defender. It's called the old sombrero. <laughs> Gave her the sombrero and then volleyed it. Just, I haven't seen it. Yeah, it's pretty good. Um, so let's, let's move on to, to TFC. We want to talk about them a little bit because... Once again, for about the third or fourth offseason in a row, they won the trophy for best offseason. I picked them to be in the MLS Cup. Everyone's picking them to again. be in MLS Cup, even though they have only made the playoffs once. Now it's because they finished sixth and they wouldn't have made the playoffs any other season in MLS history. But they got a good win to start their season uh, going to New York against the Supporters' Shield winners and, and, and winning 2-0. Um, you know, they maybe didn't boss the game completely but um you know some some encouraging signs and i think that you know their their back line at, at least looks like it's uh going to be improved this year yeah, drew moore and steve Badeshore add just stability they're guys that you know what you're going to get out of because in the past they have relied on a lot of foreign signings in central defense and uh, out wide, and they just didn't work out. Um, last season, Cantari uh, was their mid-season reinforcement, and he was a disaster. Um, so now you have guys who, yeah, even if Drew Moore isn't going to be MLS Defender of the Year, you know he can hold his own in, in MLS. And uh, Bethesdor, I think, has kind of flown under the radar and consistently been a top five MLS right back for the past several years now. So I, I really like him in that role, especially considering last season they just had this rotating cast of uh, problems at right back. Yeah, worth mentioning, too, they now have a at least a guy who you talk about potentially eventually pushing for U.S. national team minutes and goal in Clinton yeah. Irwin. Somebody say Clinton Irwin? There we go. Yeah, that's right. Clinton Irwin. Clinton you, Irwin. Your pronunciation is former uh, Former FC Ottawa goaltender. <laughs> Yes. Clint Irwin uh, had an interesting conversation with him in Florida about his days playing, uh, like, just really, really extreme minor league soccer in Canada. Did he, did he tell you about the startup he was a part of in, like, North Carolina? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he was at, like, a, a startup where he would go to training with, I think it was maybe Charleston, and then, I guess, in South Carolina. And then after training, he would go to this startup, and they had him just doing manual labor all day, like ripping up carpet and <laughs> the glory of the American soccer pyramid. There's also, yeah, you know, that interview with him actually devolved. I should probably say evolved into 15 to 20 minutes of talking about Donald Trump. <laughs> on the record, too. So I think I might actually – maybe next episode we'll play so some of Clint's is, is he a massive Trump supporter? No. He was very <laughs> careful not to to um, reveal his political inclinations, but he – we spent most, of the, the, spent most of the interview talking about how he thinks that uh, report MLS – you know, soccer journalists in general just don't ask decent questions, that 
he's just so fucking tired of getting asked how the game was on Saturday, on Tuesday, and then on Friday, what do you think is going to happen on Saturday, you know? So um, we ended up talking about politics and... Uh, Can he even vote? He's Canadian now, right? Is he? <laughs> That's how that works. I don't know. Oh, okay, yeah. You, I, just like you go, go up there long enough. And, uh, you renounce yeah. your citizenship as soon as you cross but the border. It, even, over. even without revealing his polit- political inclinations, the conversation centered around just how, how fucked up everything is with Donald Trump, which is something... We can all agree on so, but you are going to get a hundred dollars worth of liquor out of this. Vote Bernie Sanders, please. <laughs> Vote Bernie Sanders. Vote Bernie Sanders. <laughs> so Toronto FC, uh, the, they didn't control the game the way I thought. Maybe they. Well, I don't know if I thought they would control the game on the road, but I thought with Will Johnson in there in this new system where they have a lot of technical players, uh, more so on the field than in the past that they would be a little better building out of the back. But maybe that's something that will come along as they implement guys like um, Endo and Will Johnson and, and become more of a uh, more of a team and, and get Josie Altidore back uh, to add his hold-up play to the equation. So, uh, I mean, if you're a Toronto fan, you have to like what you saw. Getting three points on the road against the Supporters Shield winner is very encouraging, even if it wasn't the prettiest game. It's good to know that their back line is uh, sturdier than years past. Yeah, so we talked about D.C. United, but maybe we should spend a couple minutes talking about the team that D.C. United played against, the LA Galaxy. Uh, An interesting debut for the Galaxy because I think even though they got a good result and certainly the performance of Mike McGee was encouraging, I think they're – Definitely were some question marks. Uh, first of all, Gio Dos Santos did not have a very good half, got taken off at halftime. Um, I think it was because he was supposedly injured, but McGee was obviously a lot more effective than he was. Uh, Steven Gerrard, uh, again, continues to look like he's about 57 years old. Um, and then He always has this concerned look on his face in the field. Do you see that? Just like he's yeah. worried. You know? Yeah, and, and, and then, you know... Uh, at center back, you had a, a guy making his MLS debut, Dan Steers, who... Who I actually... Uh, he had a very good performance against the Rochester Rhinos in the oh, USL Jesus Championship last, last year. So I was familiar with him. Right. Uh, so, you know, does he keep his spot ahead of Van Dam? Um, I guess mo- most concerning from a Galaxy perspective, I think, was the performance of, of Gerard. Um, you know, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, that last season when he was played a little more high up... Uh, he was more effective, but right now they have him sort of in this holding midfield duo with DeYoung, and DeYoung looked good. He covered a lot of ground, but, you know, Jared was pretty lackadaisical, pretty slow, and if you're asking him to cover any sort of defensive ground, you could be asking for problems. Maybe Gerard will grow into that role as he gets a better feel for the system and gains fitness and, uh, you know, further finds himself integrated into the rhythm of MLS. But uh, I also think they might be facing a problem where he needs to play that role underneath the striker that he played at the start of his MLS tenure last summer. And now you have a Galaxy team where uh, you, know, you either want Zardes or Dos Santos in that role. And on top of that, Mike McGee looked fantastic playing alongside Robbie Keane up top. So all of a sudden... You have uh, this McGee-Keen combo that I think at least for the next match you can't break up. And what, what do you do with Dos Santos? What do you do with Gerard? 
Uh, where do you fit these big name players who are making millions of dollars onto the field to get the most out of them without sacrificing defensive stability, which is what has been happening for LA? It's almost like it's not a good idea to give multi-million dollar contracts to players over the age of 35. <laughs> I think we talked about this. They're just like, there's so many roster mechanisms available. There needs to be some sort of like cap on elderly players. You I, know? I, I think, again, it's it's what happens is players... Hold on. Real quick, by the way, they can, ex- they can exempt like 10 players from it, right? Like... Messi, Ronaldo, Zlatan, you know, but like Steven George, these other players. Just, uh, yeah, I mean, we saw Drogba came to the ML, came to MLS. He almost, uh, almost, the, he yeah. almost said the MLS. I uh, really had to stop. He myself. said a former player's name, and he almost just said, "I think Drogba came to the MLS <laughs> because Drogba came to the Impact last summer." Are you talking and, about uh, uh, Sacramento Republic FC yes, forward exactly. Didier Drogba? <laughs> I think he was, apparently he was playing goal in training, so maybe they're, they're grooming him for that Good position. Uh, Jesus Christ! So I mean, he came to MLS, and I thought he was done, and he's pretty pretty old, and he tore it up. So it's not impossible, but uh, the the issue in my mind is the the pre contract situation, where teams are making deals that seem smart at the time. And then the player doesn't arrive for another six months. And then when he does, it's, you know, that first half season almost always is a wash. And so then you're not actually getting the player at his best until a full year later. And when you're signing a guy who's, you know, 34 years old, and then he's going to be 35 by the time he actually gets fully integrated, you're not getting the player you thought you were signing. Sure. Yeah, and and by the way, I I think as good as Drogba was last year, and as well as things went in Montreal after he arrived, it might be the opposite this year. It's just not off to a promising start. Right. Yeah, but I, I just I, I feel like I've learned to not not presume anything. Well, yeah, know? but I mean, first of all, the fact that he is just saying I'm not going to play on turf is not a good thing. He he's did 30, look. He's 38 years old. He was halfway to retiring this off season. He I saw him in Florida and he looked particularly laid back. I yeah. mean just like, you know, during training even and you know I, I just uh, I I feel like we're gonna get halfway through the season. He's gonna have played in maybe seven or eight games, scored a couple goals. It's gonna be Chelsea's off season. They're gonna make another inquiry to see if he wants to come and join as an assistant and he's gonna Beg Montreal to let him go back, <laughs> and he will leave at midseason, retire, and join Chelsea well, in time for next jo- season. Joey Saputo, even when when pressed on it, couldn't guarantee he'd be there the whole year. Right. I mean, he was just basically like, "Listen, I know as little as you do." Right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. I think we're just all along for the Drogba ride. You yeah. Know, like, yeah. In theory, it could work. Uh, Thierry Henry didn't play on turf his last what two or three seasons in MLS. Uh, it, it's just a weird situation where Montreal has what for their first five games are on turf, so yeah. they're in this strange situation where they know he's not going to see the field for a while. Uh, but the, the optics of it are not great, and it, it does have this feeling that he is—he already has an eye on retirement, and that, I, that's never ideal. I, I will say briefly about Montreal. Even in, in loss, they looked good. Um, all preseason, they looked very good. They Piotti, won. Pia- oh, sorry. Did they? 
Montreal? Montreal yeah. won. They uh, won 3-2 at Vancouver. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Like, I got the two teams mixed up. They did yeah. look good. Also, Piotti's looked excellent out wide all preseason. I mean, I think they... I think with or without Drogba, Montreal are going to prosper this year. They basically just have a second Drogba in Dominic Oduro. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, <laughs> man. Their playing styles are remarkably similar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thomas and I concluded that um, David Akam is basically he's basically Dominic Oduro. They both just yeah. get the ball yeah. and did, like. Except he's making DP money. Yeah, accelerate into a blur and then just like run over the end line or cross <laughs> it into the supporters. You know, like. <laughs> and one out of every five shots goes. Right in the goal, like yeah. they have so much speed and raw talent that they still manage to put up decent numbers, but it's a fraction of what they could with any semblance of uh, technical ability. Yeah. Uh, so we have a tweet here, and this is a good opportunity to wrap it up. Uh, Holden Crib <laughs> asked us for hot takes on the new Javier and Dallas song. I think we need to end the show and play. Have him. Have Javier and Dallas play us out. All right. Um, Javier and Dallas, for yeah, those it, of you... Yeah, it's been like six months or it's so. It's been so. a while since we've heard from him, but uh, for those of you who aren't aware, which is probably very few of you, uh, Javier used to call us on a regular basis with original songs. Uh, he would have uh, some sort of karaoke version of an old song and put new open wide for some soccer-themed lyrics to it. And unbeknownst to anyone, really, a, a couple of days ago, he just put a new one up on youtube and somebody i I don't know who it was found it thankfully and 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 flagged it for us so now we have it um i'm trying to find it still okay um (laughs) well it is uh set to the apparently it's paul uh, apparently it's paul calgary's birthday today happy birthday paul and sorry for getting you fired fired. (laughs) all right here's 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 the obvious uh yeah so this is called uh it, I think it's uh, Monday, called Monday Open Wide. Monday Open Wide, set to the I, tune of Friday, I'm in Love. I'm going to just float out there that I don't 100% uh, agree with a lot of the, some of the little, sentiments. It gets a little strange in the last uh, in the last half of the song. So, anyways, uh, thanks for listening, and here's how you're in Dallas.
Marcus Beasley stay in bed. Davy Arno's almost bed. It's Monday, open wide. Pablo hates. T. Floyd Harvey, the dream date. Mike Bradley will separate. 